So if you had the job of making the church holy, any church, the whole church, the Bible says that God is in the process of making the church holy without wrinkle, without spot, without blemish, so that we, the church, would be presented to Christ as his bride uh, forever in all of her beauty. So we're not there now. How would we get there? What would your strategy be if you uh, were, were assigned to make us without spot, wrinkle, or blemish and holy? Well, God's strategy primarily revolves around the goal of making us one, that is, unified. Uh, not unified in the sense of the absence of conflict, though that's obviously a beginning point, but unified in the sense of intent on one purpose, functioning uh, together, uh, striving together, uh, wanting, desiring the same thing. And so what God did in order for that to happen is he made us so that we can't function well on our own. We function very well in unity, connected with others in the body of Christ. Uh, that's the way he's put it together in, in order to encourage this. You notes, number one, God made us so that we function best together with our church family. Now, God made the rules. He put things together. Uh, it's his game, as it were. So he decided how it worked best, what the rules are. If we follow them, then we are successful. We do well. If we don't, we don't do so well. And so the basic principle is together we do well. Individually, we don't. It's a simple principle, but not many people follow it very well. We can't succeed on our own. We can with the help of others as we function together in unity. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. I need you, you need me. Let us consider how to make that function well, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. Now that's a command, not a good suggestion. Uh, we kind of think that a lot of things in the Bible are, yeah, that's cool. I might do that someday. Uh, it's a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. This morning when I got up, I said, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. You're master, you're king. I will obey you. I will serve you. I will follow you. I'll do whatever you ask, no matter how difficult or how hard it is. You purchased me with your blood. I belong to you. I don't belong to me. I'm a fully devoted follower of you. I make that declaration first thing every single morning. And so when you read things in the Bible that God gave to us on how to live life and how to follow him, then we ought to think seriously about how we're doing and is this really part of my life, not forsaking the gathering together as is the habit of some. Matthew 18, 24, where two or three have gathered together. We've got that, uh, that quorum this morning, two or three. There I am in their midst. Now, when we talk about the church, the church is... The, the word means gathered, together. We are the church when we're together. Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together. They were together in one place. <clears throat> Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together. All those who believed were together and had all things in common. Acts 2.46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. The Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. 1 Corinthians 5.4, in the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, gathered together, and I with you in spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus. 
1 Corinthians 12, 20, but now there are many members, one body, one church, lots of people. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We desperately need each other. We can't function successfully on our own. God didn't create us capable of it. Um, he made us so that we are interdependent. 1 Timothy 3.15, but in case I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct, conduct, live him, uh, in the household of God, which is the church. The church, the living church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. So Paul says here, uh, writing to Timothy, here's the rules, here's the principles. This is how we live together, how we function together in the church, the family of God. Number two, our flesh, the natural part of us, doesn't like to do things God's way. So I live in this body, this flesh, and it has natural inclinations. My natural inclinations are opposite of God in every way, in every department, in every area of life. I used to have a Volkswagen bug. I have had several. Uh, but this latest one that I had was a 1964, and uh, it didn't track very well. I took it to Les Schwab, and they said it was, uh, they, how do they put that? It was unalignable an unalignable piece of junk. Uh, and, uh, and so the problem was is when you're driving down the road, when you turn loose of the steering wheel, it went in the ditch. It was just, it's so it, it, you compensated. You just held on the steering wheel and turned it just a little bit the other way. And so my arms, hands would keep it going straight when the car wanted to go in the ditch. So you live your life. Now, I don't know if you discover this yet, but your flesh heads for the ditch left to its own. That's just what we do, all of us, without exception. We head for the ditch, and so we compensate. We hang on the steering wheel of our life, and we turn it the other direction. So your flesh doesn't like me. Now, you say you do, but not really. I don't like you in my flesh. Now, we love each other as the church in Christ as a result of the Spirit working in our life. But often we irritate, make each other mad, hurt each other's feelings, say things that we shouldn't. That's just what we do in the flesh. But we forgive and we choose to meet needs and we serve one another and we pray for one another. We do all those things together because that's what we do to keep out of the ditch and to wrecking our relationships. But it takes a little bit of work to do that. So God put it this, puts it this way. My thoughts are not your thoughts. The way I function is not the way you function. The way I think is not the way you think. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, Paul was a great man. He wrote most of the New Testament, but he makes this statement about himself. He said, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Nothing good dwells in me. I have no inclination towards righteousness in my flesh. The willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Genesis 6, 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now that's a given, but the problem is, is that sometimes we, we justify, we excuse, we say, ah, oh, that's just the way I am. Well, it is. That's just the way I am as well, but that doesn't mean we ought to let that control our life and dictate how we live our life. We do what God wants us to do. He's master, king, lord of our life, and he explains to us, this is the way you live, this is how you do it, this is how you talk, and he grants us the power through his spirit to do it, but so often we justify our 
lifestyle on the basis, that's just who I am. That's how I do things. That's a good reason not to do it that way because our flesh doesn't do anything uh, according to the will of God. Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart, that's the way we are right here, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. That's just the way I am. You too. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Number three, our pride is probably our worst problem and barrier to living our life successfully for God. Now, I don't uh, listen to music much. I, if I'm going to listen, I've got these new hearing aids and they're connected to my phone, my iPhone. I can listen while I talk to you. I'll be nodding and smiling at the time I'm listening to my thing. And, and you, you just don't know it because it's through my hearing aids. But what I do, I listen to sermons. I like to listen to sermons, so I don't listen to music much. But uh, this song I... I remember some time back I heard it, it was who sang it and why it became popular, but it was something like, I did it my way. And it was, yeah, cool, I did it my way. The person was sort of touted as, mm, you do it your way instead of God's way, you're in big trouble. You do it your way instead of God's way, nothing's going to work right. Relationships, your joy level, your peace level, uh, you're, it's just not going to happen. A number of years ago, I had a great friend. He was a missionary. It wasn't, uh, he was more of a counselor than a friend. Whenever he came home from the field, I got some major, major counsel from him and help. Uh, he's the reason why I basically decided to go into ministry instead of staying into farming. I asked, what shall I do? And he gave me some counsel along with others. And then he came home from the mission field and he turned into a grouchy old man. It just like... How can a person serve all the years he served so successfully? Amazing ministry. Then he comes home and it's like, does he really know Jesus? He just was not fun to be around. I asked someone, I said, what happened to him? He says, you know, on the, on the field, he was like the king. He was, he was the man that made it happen. He was in charge. He had things together. Came back and it was like, I don't need you. I'm above you. I've got it together. And he lost his joy. And he became a grouchy old man. I thought that's sad. A guy does well, he's done, and then ends his life like that. And that's what happens when we think we can do it on our own by ourselves. We just lose our joy. We become, uh, we just, God doesn't work. We, head it, we end up in the ditch uh, one way or another, and it's our pride. It's our big problem. Number four, our pride drives us to self-sufficient, independent attitude that says, I don't need you. I can do it by myself. And that's just the way our, we are. That's our heart. That's our inclination. I can do it. I can manage. I can accomplish it. I don't need you. And then we become independent of the body of Christ, and we can't function. God made us. He created us. He, God, is community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they live in community. They exist in community. We're in His image and in His likeness designed to live with Him for eternity. And He's made it so that we will not and cannot be successful, be fulfilled, have joy, have peace, have strength on our own by ourselves, apart from the body of Christ. The more we're plugged in and connected, the better we function. But our pride often is our biggest problem in that happening in our life. So we'll go specifically now as we talk about the one anotherings together. Number five, it's God's will. It's God's will. It's His will. It's His way that we pray together as the body of Christ, the church. We pray for one another and we also pray with one another. We 
gather as the church and we pray together. Acts 4.23, when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. There's a joke about that verse, the first car mentioned in the Bible, a Honda Accord. There it is right there. Anyway, dumb joke. That's a cool thing about uh, our radio ministry. They edit all those out. <clears throat> they lifted their voices to God with one accord. That means they were together, praying together, and said, O oh Lord, it is you who have made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Acts 12, 5, Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church. Prayer was made by the church to God. Acts 12, 12, when they realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together. Many were gathered together and were praying. Acts 1.14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. With one mind, that mean, they were praying like one person, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons. 120 people prayed for 10 days together with one mind and one heart, and the church began as a result of that prayer meeting. Number six, Jesus manifests his presence to his bride when we pray together. The Bible talks about uh, God causing his face to shine upon us. That's a cool statement, his face shining upon us. Or also it says that he hid his face from us. He hid from us. So that's sort of a two contrasts, two pictures, two situations. God causes his face to shine upon us or he hides from us. The emphasis in the New Testament is that when we're together, he's in our midst, he's in our presence. He causes his face to shine upon us. Again, Matthew 18, 19 through 20. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. When we are gathered, even two or three, we're the church. I don't know if some of you knew this or not, but my middle name is F. It doesn't stand for Francis. It doesn't stand for Frank. It stands for F. That's my middle name. That's all there is. Just the letter, F. Uh, my first name is D. Mom could spell that, so she spelled it, D-E-E. -E. Didn't spell F, just made the letter F. And my dad's name is Delbert Freeman, so she was named me after his name, just the initials. So I'm D-F. When I was a kid, that's what kids called me, D-F. Didn't call me D. Um, lots of people have initials, J-B, and mine's with D-F. So when I am by myself, I'm D-F. When I'm with you, I'm JBC. There's a huge difference between JBC and DF and what we can accomplish and who we are. JBC is the church, the bride of Christ. When we're gathered, Jesus is with us in a special way. When it's just me, DF, I can build a boat. I can catch fish. But it's pretty limited what I can do, DF. Not limited what JBC can do, because when it's JBC, it's the church, the bride of Christ, uh, and God gave us, the church, authority. Uh, we are his bride. We are his body. We represent him, and we are the one that are accomplishing the will of saving the world, of making disciples, and he just made it that way. Number seven, the very nature of corporate prayer, hearing others pray, and the presence of God as a result of our gathering results in our faith growing. 
I hear you pray, God's presence, they work together, our faith grows. Periodically, people will connect with me uh, via email, text, or in person, and I'll say, Pastor D, I lost my faith. And uh, my thought is, uh, you didn't lose it, you just gave it away, but I won't get into that discussion. And would you pray for me that I get it back? So if I pray, Lord, would you work in Dee's life and screw off the top of his head and pour some faith in, will God answer that prayer? Or is there something that you should do? If you lost it, maybe you should find it. If you say to me, I lost my faith, I'll give you seven things you can do to get it back. Um, so how did you lose it? Where did it go? You know how people lose their faith? They get busy on weekends and they go camping and they go fishing and they go to see grandma. And, you know, you, can, you do that periodically. I do that. But pretty soon it becomes a way of life. You separate yourself from the body of Christ and you lose your faith. You will. It'll always happen. God gives faith. Uh, he gives faith to the faithful. He gives faith to those who follow his principles and his rules and his guidelines, and if you don't, then pretty soon you're wondering, is this true or not? I don't know God very well. It don't, doesn't seem like he works in my life. And you get weak in faith, and pretty soon you don't have any faith. Matthew 21, 22, all things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Prayer is an act of faith. When you pray, you're praying to God. That's an act of faith. When you pray, you believe God is hearing. That's an act of faith. When you pray, you believe God's going to do something. That's an act of faith. The very act of praying builds your faith and makes it strong. And pretty soon you believe more and more. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe. Believe that you have received them. They shall be granted to you. Number eight, as a result of experiencing God's presence during corporate prayer times, our joy will become very real in spite of circumstances. So God gives joy, but he doesn't do it in isolation he gives me joy through you. He gives you joy through me. Together we receive the joy of God and we impart grace to each other. We impart joy to each other. We give hope to each other on the basis of our relationship and our interaction and our encouragement. And when we pray together, it's like a supernatural event that occurs where the presence of God works in each of us, through each of us as we pray and we receive joy. This ex-missionary who became a grouchy old man cut off his source of joy because of his independent, prideful spirit. Psalm 16, 11, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence, in your presence is fullness of joy. So, Jesus said, when you gather, there I am in your presence. When you gather, there I am in your presence. There I am in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. Your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Number nine, the time that we spend praying corporately with our church family is when we can most effectively learn to discern God's voice. Somebody came up to me once and they said, Pastor D, God told me this. Actually, <laughs> more than once, lots of times. And I said, I don't always do this, but I, I said, so uh, tell me about that. What, what, what exactly happened? Did you hear a voice audibly uh, coming from the ceiling? Did you see it written in the clouds? Uh, how exactly did God tell you this? Well, it was in my thoughts. Oh, okay, cool, that's good. So how do you know it was God? Well, it was really loud. That sounds to me like it could be the devil. That's the way he operates. How do you know it was God, not the devil? Well, I don't know. 
So you have thoughts. You have some that come from you, some that come from the world, some that come from the devil, some that come from God. They all sound the same. There's not a, a one that's higher, lower, uh, not one that sounds like Charlton Heston. Every thought you have sounds the same. Some are from God. How do you know which one's from God, which one's from the devil? He masquerades as an angel of light. He pretends he's God. He sounds like God. How are you going to tell the difference? So when we pray together, corporate prayer, what God does, he communicates to us his will, and he doesn't do it just me, just you. He does it to us. And so when I'm praying in the upper room during a five-day prayer event, some of you will pray something, and as you do, I think, wow, I just thought that. I bet that was from God. A little bit later, somebody will pray something. Ah, I just thought that. Ah, that was from God. Now, if I sit up in that prayer room and pray for five days, several hours every, every day, that happens repeatedly. And so I begin getting trained. I begin to understand, yep, that one's from God. And I get good at discerning the thoughts that are from him as opposed to the ones that are from the devil because there's confirmation that takes place in a corporate prayer time. And you'll learn how to discern his voice. It's not easy to do. A lot of people who say they can are just making... Uh, just projecting an image of closeness with God when they really don't. They just say it. Discerning his voice is not easy to do. A few can do it. Not many can. You get good at it when you pray together with the body of Christ. Genesis 8:15. God spoke to Noah. Exodus 6, 1. The Lord said to Moses... Revelations 3.20, this is written to one of the seven churches. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, hears my voice. If anyone, if, that means like not everybody does. In fact, very few do. Opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Number 10, the unity and love in the family of JBC grows strong during corporate prayer times. <clears throat> and I discussion I was sitting with a group of pastors and we were talking about our churches and problems and trials and things that we were working and struggling with and the topic of the back door came up one of the pastors said you know I have lots of people visit and people get involved and pretty soon they're gone they leave the back door is as big as the front door I don't know how to close it and so we started talking about that what do you do to keep people to plug them in to get them so they're part of the family and not just hit and I said, you know, I personally I found that if I can get people to pray corporately, regularly, that it's, they just, it's a great hook. It brings them in. It sucks them into the core. They become a functioning part of the body of Christ. But if they don't, won't, then they don't seem to be, they're just always kind of on the outside. It's not fun to be on the outside. It's nice to be on the inside. And you have that sense that God is pleased and God is working. Praying together is what makes that happen. Number 11, we have more power and influence with God when we pray together. More happens as a result of our time praying. So God made it that way. Now, I pray by myself a lot. Uh, my goal is an hour a day praying just me, and I pray for every one of you by name every week. I have you in my prayer uh, journal. I have most of your pictures there. I have lots of information about most of you. You put a prayer uh, request in the prayer letter. I cut and paste it and put it in my prayer app on my iPad. And uh, if you send me your goals, I put them in there. Any information I observe about you, I put it in there. And so every week I cover every one of you by name. It takes a lot of praying to get through all of you. 
And so I scroll down through that prayer app, your picture, information. I plead with God to work uh, in your life. And so I pray by myself, but I know that when I pray with you, my horsepower goes up substantially. Because when I pray, I'm DF. When we pray, we're JBC. Now, there's realms or arenas in which our power increases. Uh, and a major one is when we are dealing with the devil. Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you, even two of you, agree on earth about anything that you ask, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Where two or three have gathered, there I am. <clears throat> I've uh, been preaching here for 42 years, and sometimes I preach and teach on something, and I get a ton of pushback on it. And I don't think over the years I've preached on a topic that has gotten more resistance and pushback than this uh, principle. That is, when we pray together, more happens than when we pray by ourselves. doesn't mean we don't pray by ourselves, but the primary result of me praying by myself is my relationship with God grows. But if I want to stomp the devil, I do that with others. 1 John 5, 12, He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Now, this is talking singular. You, me, if we have Jesus, we have life. These things I have written to you, singular, who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you, singular, may know that you have eternal life. Now, he's going to change, shift gears. This is the confidence which we, that's plural, that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. So, I get saved, you get saved. Individually, we uh, trust Christ and we grow, but prayer, it's we, 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 plural. Number 12, our greatest authority and power to resist, fight, and overcome the devil and his demons is in corporate prayer. <coughs> A number of years ago, we were building that um, Christian education center over there. We were just getting started at it. It was just bare two-by-fours, basically. One of the staff came into my office, and it was kind of funny. He sits down in front of my desk and says, I don't smoke marijuana. That's good. I don't drink. That's good. I don't have hallucinations. Cool. I was thinking, where is this going? And then he says, I just over in our, our, our new building, and I saw a demon. Really? What do you look like? Described uh, this sort of vaporous, dark. I said, uh, let's go stomp him. And uh, okay, so we went over there. I got one of the other staff, and we went over there, and we walked around and prayed. Asked God to kick him out and uh, get rid of him, and we've not had anything like that since. Later, I was telling that story, and they said, weren't you nervous? I said, if I'd have gone over by myself, I would have been. By myself, we have little authority, the kingdom of darkness. Together, we're the army of God. The authority that we've been given to bind and, and to loose has been given to the church. We have the keys of the kingdom. We have authority and power as the church together as we agree. And so the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's looking for people on their own by themselves that have isolated themselves because they don't think they need other people. Those are the ones the devil feasts on. And together we have amazing authority and power to clear the air of demons that influence and blind people. Ephesians 6, this is all plural, the whole book of Ephesians. Put on the full armor of God that you, plural, 
The Greek language has two words for you, one singular, one plural. This is the plural. You will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's what our struggle is against. Here's the key to conquering with all prayer and petition. Pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We have power and authority when we pray against the kingdom of darkness, when we do it together as the church. Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, your plural, will stomp him. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Here's an Old Testament illustration. You remember Israel came out of Egypt and they conquered Jericho, marched around it seven days, blew trumpets, walls fell down, they went in and conquered it. And then the next day they're going to take on another city called Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go up to Ai. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there. They fled from the men of Ai. And they fled. They found out that one of the guys had stole something that he wasn't supposed to. God lost their blessing. And so they took care of all that kind of detail there. And then they go back up to Ai. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I've given into your, your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. <clears throat> so we're inclined like they were. Ah, we don't need all to be involved. But that's where their strength was. 13, the devil fears the prayer, uh, prayer of the church. He has no defense against it except to work at keeping us from praying together. He's doing a pretty good job. How does he do that? Well, he just puts into your thought, I'm busy. I, I don't really have time for the five days of prayer. Well, there's quite a few people that pray. I don't need to go. Or this is fear, this nervousness. It's sort of unreasonable. It's unreasonable because it's prompted by demons. People all the time say, I just get really nervous when I think about praying with other people. Even being in the room makes me nervous. That's not you. Don't let those guys control your life. Come into the prayer room and they can't even get in there. You'll be free of their influence, but they work hard at popping head, thoughts into your head all day long about why you can't go, why you ought not to go, and most of it revolves around the theme of pride. He fell because of pride. He knows he can use that in our life to motivate us. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention paying attention, paying attention to deceitful spirits, demons, deceitful, and they try to trick us. They pay attention, they listen, they follow. Lots of people will do that. So don't be one. And the principle is clear. Together we are the church. Together we have authority. Together we have power. Together we will stomp the devil. Together we will drive them out. Together we'll bring people into the family of God. God gave us a commission. Go and make disciples of every nation, of every people. That's impossible. Then he gave us the Spirit of God. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Then he gave us this gift, prayer. When we pray together, God works. When we pray together, he frees. When he prays together, he gives spiritual sight. Uh, we have amazing authority and power when we pray for the world, when we pray for our neighbors, when we pray for our church together. But independent by ourselves, 
uh, we don't accomplish near what we will together. We're the army of God. We're the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Uh, we are his method, his tool. You function together in unity with the, your church family, and we function well. But you become an independent, self-sufficient, occasional plugger in her that uh, haphazard in your involvement and in your service and your attendance and rarely attend corporate prayer. You're, you're going to become a grumpy old man. Uh, you just won't get all that God has for you. That's just the way it is. He made the rules. Together we're strong, independent, self-sufficient. Uh, we're weak and we lose. It's our choice. Our flesh pulls us to the ditch. Hang on the steering wheel and do what God's Word says and He'll bless us. Let's pray. Father, thank You, thank You, thank You. You saved us. We couldn't save ourselves. You did it for us. You did everything. And we're going to live with You for all eternity with a glorified body that never gets tired, old, never gets sick. That's not that far away. In the meantime, as we live this life, we want to do it for you. We want to glorify you, bear much fruit. We want to reach people with the gospel. And Lord, you made us the church. You've given us power as the church. We are the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. Uh, this is your method. And I pray that we wouldn't be independent, self-sufficient, prideful people who think we can do fine on our own, that we would understand your will, your way, our thoughts would be your thoughts. We wouldn't do what the world does, and we wouldn't do what our flesh says, and we wouldn't certainly do what deceitful demons would trick us into believing. But, Lord, we'd follow your word, your way. We'd govern our life according to your principles. Use us for your glory in the days ahead. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.